Peter says, beginning in verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And Father, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit right now just to prepare us. Lord, you know where we're at as we came through these doors this morning, where our mind is and our heart and even our physical frame. And Lord, we believe that you have a purpose. It's not a coincidence that we're here this morning. Lord, you are here to meet with us. We welcome your presence among us. And Lord, we need to hear from you, each one of us. Lord, we sense there's something in this portion of Scripture, like every part of Scripture, that is the living and powerful Word of God that you have to say to us. So give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to this part of your church. Help us to be receptive and attentive. And Lord, that we might hear your voice personally and powerfully in our own heart and life. Teach us this morning, Lord. Speak to us and bless your word through your Spirit's ministry. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it is helpful to realize at some point that suffering is honestly just one part of God's overall plan for your life. Now, I'd be the first to admit suffering is never pleasant. I don't think suffering is ever preferred by anyone, yet suffering is still essential. In fact, it is even helpful in certain ways in our lives. And the reality is, no matter what we do, it will happen in measured portions throughout different seasons in our life. It's a part of the journey here on this fallen planet of earth that we live on as a result of sin's entrance into humanity. It is a planet that has fallen by nature because of sin and its effects, and because of that, suffering and sorrow and difficulty is a part of the journey and process on this earth. In fact, Jesus himself declared, in this world, and keep deep note of that, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the wonderful thing is there is a coming world. There is the what's beyond this world where the Bible says that there is no longer pain, sorrow, or suffering for the old form of things have passed away and God makes all things new. And that's a wonderful thing. But in this world, Jesus said, it's, a, it's an assurance. You will have tribulation. The idea is problems, 
pain, difficulty, sorrow, trials. In fact, for those of us who decide to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible even goes so far to say that suffering is something we're actually called to spiritually. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1.29. He says, For to you, as a Christian, he says, It has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. In other words, uh, for faithfully representing Jesus, the Bible says part of that brings at times suffering as a result into our lives as we live in this world that many ways rejects Christ and wants nothing to do with him. And the passage in front of us that we're going to look at together this morning gives helpful instruction regarding suffering and how to actually handle it. So whether you're suffering right now or whether the next season of suffering comes into your life, this passage gives some good insight regarding suffering and how to actually handle it. And remember, as we go into these verses this morning, the theme really of 1 Peter as a letter we have seen is been Peter giving instruction to believers, to Christians, who are living in a very anti-Christian Roman culture. In that ancient day, the Roman culture they were living in, the government itself, the church and followers of Jesus Christ were under severe persecution. They were experiencing intensified forms of suffering for their faith. They were under pressure. And in many ways, Christians were even being wrongly identified as the troublesome people in the society. As sin abounded and as immorality increased, those who were righteous were actually being labeled as the evildoers in the culture because they were too moral or intolerant of the freedoms that we want to have to express our immoral practices. And Peter's writing to believers in hardship to encourage them and to counsel them how to live well in a decaying world and in a Christ-rejecting culture. If you draw your attention with me back to verse 12, look what Peter begins to say here. He says again, Beloved, do not think, he says, it, notice the term, strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed you also may be glad with exceeding joy. So Peter here in these verses is stating for us that suffering and in the midst of suffering must be an occasion where we first seek to and then we, after we gain, actually must then maintain a right perspective. This is what he's addressing here in these first few verses, that in suffering we have to gain and then maintain a right perspective. And that's critical because our perspective during suffering, you'll find, will greatly affect the way that you respond during suffering. Depending upon what your outlook is towards the suffering or difficulty that you're going through, that will have a tremendous impact upon how you respond to it, how you handle it, how you process it. And as we're encountering hard times and trying to navigate our way through difficulties or suffering, the Bible shows us here in verse 12 that what we think, Peter says, what we think about fiery trials is actually very important to our response. And he speaks in verse 12 and 13 of both a natural reaction that we kind of typically tend to have and then a better response that we actually should have. Notice in verse 12, he uses that term there, fiery trial. 
The term in the original language is a term that was used to speak of a burning place or a hot furnace. It was a reference to what was called the smelting furnace that was used to basically purify forms of gold and silver as they would take precious metals and they would subject them to the smelting furnace and as they did that what would happen is the impurities would then rise up to the surface and they would then scoop off the impurities and it was a process that was continued to make the metal stronger and to cause the metal to be purified and of more value and he had already referred to trials difficulties problems that's what that term means back in chapter one kind of using that same metaphor how in a sense at times we feel like we are thrust into the fire that's kind of what trials are like for us and he's describing life's unplanned and life's unpreferred times when we find ourselves experiencing and being subjected to things that cause us great suffering that cause us painful situations to go through. And, and that's always how it is, isn't it? You, you notice you, you never kind of get advance notice when a painful time is going to come into your life. It's not like there's a, an invitation. that goes. If you're interested, RSVP. You know, would you like a season of pain ahead? Would, would you like to deal with a tragedy within the next week or two? We're just kind of thrust into it. Like that metal would just be thrust into the smelting furnace. That's typically the way it happens. We find ourselves through circumstances or situations just put into something where we feel like, we use this term, isn't it? We feel like we're being put through the fire. And maybe you can relate to that. I'm sure every one of us in this room to some extent can recognize times where we have felt like that we were kind of just being put through the fire. And, and, and we, man, this is, this is hard. And this is difficult, and this hurts. And, and notice he says that these fiery trials, he says in verse 12, they come and they actually try you. They try us. The idea is, is they put us to the test. When you're being put through the fire, it's putting you to the test, it's challenging you, it's straining your muscles in a sense in every part of your being, and it's causing you to stretch. And Peter speaks honestly to us in verse 12 of a very natural reaction that we all have when we're thrust into a fiery trial. Notice two times in verse 12, he repeatedly uses the term strange in regards to their viewpoint about suffering he says there when you go to a, through a fiery trial he says don't think it strange and he says as if some strange thing has actually happened to you that word strange is a word that refers to something that's foreign that's out of place an abnormal experience uh, and remember these believers the christians that he's addressing they were not suffering for doing what was wrong they were suffering in their situation for doing everything that was right. They were suffering for doing what was righteous. And that makes it totally understandable, does it not, why it would kind of challenge their minds when they're going through difficulty. I mean, they're trying to process it like we do many times rationally and logically. And it makes sense when they're doing what's righteous and they're doing what's right and they're trying to honor the Lord and obey God's word and, and do the things that would be pleasing to God, it would be a very common thing to kind of have some initial feelings of confusion and some thoughts that would make you question, why am I still then going through a fiery trial? 
you know, so many times, if that were us, we would feel a bit confused at first, or sometimes our mind, when we try and process, we're being put through the fire, and we start to reconcile in our mind, rationally, trying how this could, could line up, and we start to think things like, wait a minute, if I'm doing what's right, then why is everything going wrong? <laughs> Or if, if I'm trying to honor God and obey his word and please the Lord, why is this so difficult? Why am I going through such a hard time? Why, why, why am I going through a heated uh, you know, season in my life? I shouldn't be experiencing hard times right now. And it just, right, it doesn't seem to line up mentally in our thought process. It doesn't seem to kind of correspond with the way that we would think. And then what happens is as we try to reconcile it logically, before we know it, we start to convince ourselves, therefore, this fiery trial, th this, this is out of place in my life. Something's wrong. This shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be suffering. I shouldn't be going through a difficulty. And then little by little, we start to get upset. We start to, to think that somehow maybe we're alarmed that something's gone wrong. Maybe something is wrong. Or, or we even sometimes start to get angry at God. And we find ourselves wrestling with all types of emotions and thoughts. And Peter wants to warn us to be careful of that natural tendency that we all have. Because if we begin to think that fiery trials and difficulties and problems have no place in our life, and they never belong in our life, and we should never experience them, we can start to wrestle with wrong thoughts. We can start to experience wrong feelings, which then translate many times into reacting incorrectly, where we get fearful, where we really don't have anything to worry about. Or we start to question God, or question things that we shouldn't in regards to the course that we're on, or sometimes we're even tempted to change course, because we think, well, maybe if I change course, the problems will stop. Maybe if I compromise and make some concessions, maybe the, 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 the heat will, will turn down a little bit. Or, or we, as I said, just actually begin to get angry at God. And the Bible is saying during difficulty, we need to be careful that our mind does not stumble our heart spiritually. And we don't begin to process things wrongly. It's important to gain proper perspective. Peter said back in the first chapter regarding trials, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. He says it's that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, the Bible's saying, look, when, when God permits a trial, he allows a difficulty. It, it may be for a season. It may be grieving you and challenging you, but he says, listen, God is not allowing it to happen in vain. And he says, the genuineness of your faith just like that metal where the impurities would rise to the surface and they would then take off the impurities to make it more purified and more valuable. He's saying to us, look, this is what the fires that we are put through in life, they do for us. Because when we're put through the fire in a sense through something we go through that's difficult, it has a very purifying effect in all of our lives. It's amazing how when we are subjected to the heat, what happens? All types of things rise up to the surface that we realize about ourselves, And all of a sudden, things come to the surface, maybe that are buried deep within, that, that really are things that God doesn't want to be there. And the heat is what brings them to the surface, and God says, right, I want to bring them to the surface because I need to get these things out of your life. They're not good for you. 
So I need to bring them to the surface so that we can deal with them together and remove them from your life and our faith is being strengthened and the Lord is doing a very purifying thing in our lives. So Peter says, be careful of the wrong reaction and misinterpreting fiery trials. But then in verse 13, he then addresses what is really the better response. Not a wrong reaction, but the better response, he says, verse 13, is instead, he says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings so that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. So the Bible says here, instead of resenting the trial or instead of somehow trying to retreat from, from doing what's right to try and, as I said, maybe stop the tension because you're interpreting, well, maybe if I just retreat from doing the right thing, that maybe that'll just make things calm down or cool off a little bit. The Bible says, no, instead, use that difficulty, use the hardship, use the trial, let the suffering be something to help you instead reflect on your relationship with the Lord. And to evaluate, he says here in verse 13, seek to rejoice knowing, he says, verse 13, that to some extent you are partaking. That word partaking is participating. It also means to share. He says, know in the trial that to some extent you're actually participating and sharing in the same sufferings of Christ. What Peter's telling us is that God is allowing us in a measured way, and I stress measured way, in a measured way to share in some of the same things that Jesus himself did as he walked on this earth in a body of flesh as a man and experienced everything that you and I experience. And the truth of the matter is this, and if you've ever been through a difficult time, maybe the loss of a loved one, or if you found yourself by the hospital bed of someone for a season of time while they're going through a difficulty or maybe just you know a, a marriage issue or, or suffering in whatever capacity, you know very well that when two people suffer similar things, there's a bonding experience that happens. You know, two people who are suffering with cancer can look each other in the eye and there's a connection there because when two people suffer similar things, whether it's they had a marital failure and, and they're grieving because a spouse betrayed them and took off on them, or whether it's a sickness or this loss of a loved one, or two people that are experiencing the same thing, there's a real bonding connection that happens there. And God is saying to us, listen, that same experience <clears throat> can take place between us and his son Jesus, who the Bible says was acquainted with suffering. So that means this this morning, as we go through times in our life where maybe you experience rejection in some form, so did Jesus. When you find yourself cruelly mistreated by someone, or maybe you go through a time of loneliness, so did Jesus. If you find yourself being misunderstood or forsaken and let down by those who were absolutely closest to you, so did Jesus. If you find yourself betrayed or falsely accused, or maybe you're discouraged in trying to do what is good, or if you find yourself heartbroken, so is Jesus. If you find yourself under incredible stress and duress at some season of your life where you feel like you're being squeezed and you're overwhelmed, listen, so is Jesus. All of these are things the Bible shows us that Jesus in his humanity experienced. And to some extent, God is saying we're participating in part of what Jesus did. And he does and allows these things in a sense, in a measured way in our life so that we can relate to the Lord 
in a way more intimately maybe than we never have before. And in some way, through the hardship and the pain and the suffering, we can actually come to know the Lord more deeply. Because as we're suffering the same thing, we can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, is this what it felt like when you were betrayed? Lord, is this what it felt like when you were overwhelmed? Lord, is this what it felt like when your heart was broken? Lord, and in some way, there's a very bonding, wonderful thing where through suffering, you can actually come to know the Lord in a much deeper way than ever before. Not to mention, Peter mentions here in verse 13 also that we then share together in his reward eternally because he says, ultimately then when his glory is revealed, you also will share with that as well in a time of gladness and exceeding joy. Look with me in verse 14. He then goes on to say, and if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, and on their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. So here we learn, despite the unpleasant burden of suffering that we go through, that there is, God tells us here, actually some blessings attached <clears throat> to times of suffering as well. Peter identifies in verse 14 here for us the main reason that these Christians were suffering. And the main reason they were suffering, he identifies directly, was due to their commitment to the Lord. He says, if you're reproached for, here's why, the name of Christ. So because of their association with Jesus, because they were identifying with him and walking with him, representing him, it was directly connected to that, that they were then being reproached. And that word reproach there means to be reviled, to be insulted or verbally attacked. And that's what was happening to them because of the name of Christ and their relationship with him. You know, Wiest said this, I jotted down his quote, he said, the world does not persecute a worldly Christian, only a spiritual one. And that's so true. See, the reality is this, if you're a Christian this morning, if a Christian behaves and acts just like the rest of the world around them, and there's no difference in their convictions or their behavior and their carnal and worldly, the world will not only tolerate that from you as a Christian, they appreciate that. They appreciate your spiritual passivity. But let a Christian resolve in their heart to live godly in Christ Jesus. Let a Christian resolve to say, I don't just want fire insurance eternally from God. I want to live for the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life and not be conformed to the patterns of this world and serve the Lord faithfully. I tell you at that moment, that will be an instant source of friction to the ungodly world around you. Because when light shines into the darkness, people go like this because it, it bothers their eyes. And see, when you walk in the truth, truth reveals error. It's just what happens. If you lay truth down, it exposes also what's erroneous. And, and when you begin to live godly in Christ Jesus, it will rub ungodly peoples for the long, wrong way. And the consequences of that at times can be pretty painful in your life as a result. And I don't care who you are. It is hard and hurtful when people speak critically to anyone. It is painful when someone speaks cruelly to anyone. It disheartens us. It causes tremendous feelings of rejection. You feel humiliated, and especially if the mockery is public before other people. And perhaps you've experienced that. 
Perhaps you've decided to start living faithfully for Jesus and recently you've experienced being reviled in some way. Peter had learned that from heaven's perspective, that can actually be a badge of honor at times. It can actually be a privilege, strange as it sounds. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, this is why, no doubt in verse 14, Peter says, If you're reproached, for the name of Christ, this is why he says, Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now that's difficult for our logical, rational mind. Wait a minute, suffering, blessed? They don't belong in the same sentence. Blessed are you? How could he say blessed are you? What are you talking about? Well, he says it's because the spirit of God rests upon you. Now, the idea there, I think, is twofold. First of all, it reveals, Peter's saying, that when you are reviled for the name of Christ, he says you are blessed because that's an indication that the Spirit of God is so evident in your life. And God's Spirit's presence is so at work in your life that it's an indication of where you're at, and that's honorable before the Lord. What I think also is being conveyed to us here is that in the midst of suffering, it's also a blessing that the Spirit of God rests upon us in that there is refreshment and there is rest that can come to our soul via the Spirit's ministry. And the reason I say that is when you look at the term that Peter uses there, rest, in the original language, it actually conveys there to give rest. When he says the Spirit rests upon you, it literally is a term that speaks of bringing rest or giving refreshment. That's the idea there of what he's saying. It's the same term that Jesus used in Matthew 11:28, where he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, rest for your soul. In other words, what's being conveyed there is it indicates how the Spirit of God rests upon the child of God in the midst of difficulty and as we are being weathered and beaten down and struggling in the heat of the moment that the Spirit of God rests upon us in a way whereby He gives an internal rest. So in the midst of the weariness and the weight and the struggle that God by His Spirit's ministry, it says, can give a rest. To your soul. Jesus says, Are you weary? Are you overloaded? Are you weighed down beyond what your human capacity is to handle? He says, Listen, would you come to me? I want to bear your burden for you. And he says, And I can give you rest for your soul. I can give an inward rest for your soul to help refresh you in the midst of the heat and the suffering and the struggle. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 said the same thing in this manner. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, crushed but not perplexed. He says, we are not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And he said, therefore we don't lose heart for even though our outward man is perishing, falling apart, he says, our inward man is being renewed day by day. And you know what? That is a tremendous blessing of knowing the Lord when you go through suffering. Because listen, it does not matter if you're a Christian or whether you're not following Jesus Christ. Nobody's immune. We're all going to suffer. But the benefit, 
the asset, the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ and coming to him as a good shepherd to let him walk you through your sufferings is Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll help carry the burden for you. I'll lift some of the weight of that. I'll minimize some of the pain and the impact of what it would be for you by giving an internal refreshment as my spirit is resting upon you, bringing rest and refreshment. Peter then says, verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's manners. So Peter emphasizes here, if we're going to suffer in life, which we will, he tells us in verse 15 here, it's never wise, if we're going to suffer anyway, it's never wise to do things to actually bring or cause more suffering for yourself than what you're already going through. And that's what he's alluding to here in the 15th verse. He says, look, even though some of you may suffer for the name of Christ, he says, but none of you should suffer for being guilty for these kind of things. He says, some of us may suffer for the name of Christ, but none of us should ever suffer for being guilty of what's sinful and wrong, where we bring pain and problems into our own lives unnecessarily. And that truth applies to anyone, but let me just say, that especially applies this morning if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian who has the Word of God and knows the Word of God and you have the Spirit of truth living inside of you, and you are ignoring that and thereby ending up suffering because of sinful actions among others, that is all the more, God says, foolish and unnecessary. See, what Peter is warning of here is sort of what we might call a self-inflicted trial, self-inflicted pain and problems that we bring upon ourselves due to our own foolish errors and poor choices of disobeying God. Again, getting so angry that you actually go out and murder someone or becoming so desperate that rather than trust God, you find ways to actually steal and become a thief just to get what you want or becoming so greedy that you want something so bad that in a sense you'll compromise and make concessions to actually steal and become a thief. We're becoming so sinful in our tendencies in other ways where we actually become an evildoer in the society. And this is what Peter is saying here. Look, these kind of things, he says, these are justified forms of suffering. That when we do these things, he says, there's no badge of honor in that. All we're doing there is bringing a justified form of suffering in the consequences of our bad decisions and of our sinful behaviors. Why? Because those things violate God's ways. And when we violate God's ways, we're going to experience painful consequences. The Bible speaks of sowing and reaping. You sow an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. You can't sow an apple seed and, and pray for an orange tree. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And in the same way, you can't sow sinful actions and decisions and then pray for crop failure. When you sow bad decisions, you're going to experience painful consequences. It's one of the important teachers of nature and the way God's created things to be to help us so we don't repeat those kind of things. And when we violate God's ways, we reap sorrow and suffering. And when we violate the laws of the land, which the last time I checked, things like murder and being a thief, those are things that as well require civil punishment as a deterrent so you don't repeat those things in the society. Now, what is very interesting to me is as Peter says, none of you should suffer for these things. Did you take notice the end of verse 15 there in our text that Peter says, listen, 
Don't murder. Don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer. And then he couples with that, or be a busybody in other people's matters. I mean, do you find that humorous to me? I, I look at that list and I almost go, well, it's kind of strange. You know, it doesn't seem to kind of connect. Don't murder anybody. Don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer. And don't be a busybody in other people's matters. But as I look at that, and your translation may render the term meddler the same idea, apparently God sees that as just as wrong in some ways, just as hurtful and dangerous as those other things. That term there, being a busybody or a meddler, it literally refers to a self-appointed overseer in other people's matters. Let me say that again. A self-appointed overseer in other people's matters. And what the Bible's warning of us here is that we need to be careful not to pry into other people's matters beyond where we really should. And this can be done in real good intention. You know, a Christian wanting to care about someone else, or a parent being so concerned for their child, or a spouse being greatly you know, concerned. And, and, and we, need to, we need to be careful that we don't cross boundaries at times where the boundaries, in a sense, aren't ours to cross, where we actually become a little too over-involved in other people's matters, and we actually feel it's our business and our right to keep tabs on them and to actually determine what is right and what is wrong for their life. And in a sense, we usurp the role of God in their life. Now all of a sudden, we're the self-appointed overseer in their life. And somehow we are going to take the place of God. We may not say that, but we, we kind of tend to forget the fact that God is the overseer, the chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls, the Bible says. People belong to the Lord ultimately and, and we need to let God be the overseer and let him watch and work in people's lives and not, in a sense, step in at times a little too often or a little too far whereby we start to get involved where we feel it's our role and we take matters into our own hands and what begins to happen, I tell you, is then we get in God's way because we're trying to do God's job. And in a sense, God is saying, what are you doing? I'm the overseer in this person's life. And, and what ultimately happens is we overstep our bounds and then problems will result. Hurt will result. That's typically what the outcome is when we do that. Proverbs 26 warns of he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his own and the danger that comes of that. See, what the Bible is reminding us here is this, is just like suffering can come, listen, from breaking the law, Suffering can also come at times from breaking boundaries that we really have no business pushing past. Interesting, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we should aspire to lead a quiet life, and he actually says, and mind your own business. <laughs> Don't you like how the Bible is just so honest? Lead a quiet life. Don't be a busybody in other people's matters. And he just says, mind your own business. Listen, is there time where we're called to keep each other accountable? Yes. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. There are times where we should speak into each other's life with the license of love that, hey, we're brothers, we're sisters. If I was messing up, I'd hope you'd speak into my life. And if you're messing up, I'm going to speak into your life. But there also comes a place where God says, you know what, but there's also a boundary at a certain point where you need to realize there's also a time to refrain. And there's a time to respect God's boundary and not overly become too involved in a way where we begin to meddle in an unhealthy way. And the point of verse 15 is simply that suffering and trouble, it's going to find all of us. But God's saying to us, listen, the wise person learns not to create problems for themselves. 
Suffering is going to find me anyway. But he's saying, if you're wise, Tony, you won't create more suffering for yourself by bad choices and sinful actions that bring self-inflicted pain and further problems. Verse 16, he gives the contrast and says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So he shows the contrast now of suffering for wrongdoing with the acceptable, honorable experience of suffering. He says suffering as a Christian. And the indication there is either because you're a Christian or even though you're a Christian. That because you're a Christian, sometimes you may suffer. Maybe you seek to please the Lord and people mock and insult you as the result of that. And you get made fun of in your school system or your peers or friends. They, they mock you because now you want to live for Jesus and, and you suffer as a result of being a Christian. Or maybe you try and share your faith with someone and you get rejected in a rude way. Or <clears throat> maybe you stand up for the truth in a matter for what's righteous. And that upsets people around you. Or maybe you pray and you make a decision. And other people don't agree with that decision that you've made. So because of that, they get greatly irritated. And they mistreat you because they don't agree with the decision that you've made somehow. Or, or maybe you choose to take a certain path that you believe is the right path that's honorable before God. And because you choose to take that certain path and do what's righteous, you suffer loss as a result. Maybe you suffer the loss of a friend. Maybe you suffer the loss of a relationship. Maybe you suffer the loss of some business opportunity or advancement or, or some opportunity that could have been yours, but because you try and do things the right way, you suffer and you lose as a result. And the Bible is saying here, listen, that sometimes that's a part of, of suffering because you're a Christian. But I think God's also reminding us that we need to remember that we're going to suffer as well, even though we are a Christian. The Christians aren't immune to suffering. The Bible says that God brings his you know, reign on the just and the unjust, and, and, and suffering is a part of this world. So Peter says when anyone suffers as a Christian because they're a Christian, or even though they're a Christian, he says don't be discouraged. Let him not be ashamed, he says. There's no shame in suffering. Don't let mistreatment or embarrassment of other people intimidate you or dishearten you. Don't, don't think amidst your struggle that you're abandoned and start to lose heart or, or be careful of getting overly focused on the suffering where then you start to make compromises and concessions thinking somehow you will alleviate it and then you pull back from following the Lord as faithfully as you were because you begin to feel ashamed. He says, no, instead, look what he says, verse 16, instead, let him, when he's suffering, glorify God. In this matter. Now I have that underlined in my Bible. You should underline it in yours. And then underline the person to the right of you as well. When you suffer, he says, here's God's perspective. When you suffer, seek to use it in a way to glorify God. Glorify God in the matter of suffering. Use the matter of suffering in a purposeful way where you determine that can be an opportunity to bring glory to God while you're going through suffering. By the way that you handle the suffering in your life because people are watching you. By the way that you speak about that suffering in front of others because people are listening to. By the way that you process it and, and, and the way that you live. When a Christian suffers, they should try and use that occasion to glorify God. So when we go through a hard time, I know it's difficult and we're trying to cope and process it and get the Lord's comfort, but at the same time, our attitude should be, our attitude should be, Lord, help me to glorify you in the midst of this. Lord, how can I respond in a way 
that is going to glorify you the most. Help me to glorify you amidst this painful situation or this matter that's come into my life. That's great, great counsel. God says use it in that purposeful way to glorify God in the matter. He says, for the time, verse 17, has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God now, if, he says, quoting Proverbs 11, if the righteous is scarcely or saved through difficulty, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, take notice, as we mentioned before, how Peter, through a working knowledge of the Bible, the Old Testament, uses his working knowledge of the Bible to help him interpret accurately what he was going through presently amidst the suffering in the time. He's using an Old Testament principle from Proverbs 11.31 and that truth spiritually helped him interpret the time of present suffering in an accurate way. Peter says here in verse 17, it seems to me that the time has come maybe for judgment to begin at the house of God. In a sense, Peter is saying, look, I sense that maybe this suffering that God's letting us go through, even the persecution, and the difficulty and the fiery trials that we're under, that we don't deserve it. He says, I sense that maybe God's using this to help purge us of some things spiritually. Maybe God's using this to awaken his people currently. He says, maybe the Lord is allowing us to deal with this unfair treatment or these hardships or this difficult time and, and like a refiner's fire. Maybe he's trying to clean some things up in his own house. And maybe he's trying to bring some things to the surface to adjust our hearts or get our attention or to awaken us as his people. And he's allowing those things. And if we were to be honest, often suffering is one of the most helpful things for spiritual progress. Is it not? Because when we go through a hard time, we're praying like never before. When we suffer, it gets our attention. When you go through suffering, it humbles you. I don't care who you are. When you hurt, you're humbled. You're humbled. And you become dependent in a whole other way. And many times, it's hard times that cause us in life to evaluate and adjust our priorities. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. Something happened. The affliction actually helped him to turn his heart back towards the Lord. And Peter says here, our present sufferings can be a reminder to stir us with concern for the eternal sufferings that are the jeopardy of those who are not obeying the gospel of God who reject Jesus. He says, if the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, if it begins with us first, he says, what will be the end of those who do not obey, he says, the gospel of God? The point that Peter's making there is this. If those of us, he says, who do not deserve the suffering that we're experiencing are suffering, then he says, what is the suffering going to be like for those who actually justly deserve the suffering of the wrath of God for their rejection and rebellion against Jesus Christ and their sinful ways? He says, if this is what we're experiencing, those who deserve suffering, what are they going to experience? He asks the question here, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? And Revelation 20, verse 12 through 15 answers at the great white throne judgment where they will be evaluated and judged for their works by God. And it tells us there that they were each judged according to their works and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Peter says, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel of God? Those, that is, who God has spoken to them what he's done for them and and he's revealed to them, listen, you need my son Jesus Christ. You're a sinner. You're not navigating your own life well. You're making a mess of things. You're living in rebellion to me and God says, but look, I love you. My son died on the cross for your sins. He suffered for your sin and he rose again and he is alive and he's reaching out to you and he wants to forgive you and cleanse you of all your guilt and shame and he wants to give you a new start on life and he says, but yet there are those who don't obey the gospel of God. That is, they resist the voice of God in their life. They rebel when God calls them to come to Jesus and he says, what will be the end of those in that condition? And we know what it will be. Jesus said they'll be put to a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said it's a place of everlasting fire and everlasting judgment where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's the end of those who reject Jesus Christ, the Bible says. It tells us in the Bible that in hell, the lake of fire, people will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now that should do two things. The truth of those things should do two things. It should cause us as a Christian to endure whatever we've got to endure to keep wanting to reach people. And for those who do not know Jesus Christ, the ungodly, the unconverted soul, if that's you this morning, by golly, that should compel you to submit and surrender to God without any further delay. Because what you are suffering now is nothing compared to what you will bring upon yourself if you choose to breathe your last breath apart from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That suffering will be way, way more and God warns us because he wants to deliver us from it. Well, look at the last verse, verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. This is an important verse. At times, the Bible says it actually can be God's will. That's what I said. That's what the Bible says. It can actually be God's will at times to suffer. That's universally true for the saved or the unsaved. Everyone suffers. We live in a fallen world plagued with sin and sickness and sorrow and suffering. And certainly, as I said earlier, we can do things that add to our own suffering and we can do things and make good choices to avoid some additional suffering in our life by living according to God's ways and God's design. But nonetheless, it does not matter who you are, rich or poor, what your skin color is, how hard you try, how righteous you are, how unrighteous you are. The bottom line is that everybody is not immune from suffering, no matter what we do. As a believer or an unbeliever, there are going to be times, no matter how much faith you have, how much you confess and name and claim, that suffering is still going to come into your life. In fact, the Bible says here, and I didn't write it, God says it, he says, when you suffer according to the will of God. There are times we suffer according to God's will, that God permits it, God allows it. God God orchestrates it in a sense. And, And I may not fully understand all the reasons why I suffer at times. I would never pretend to be spiritual enough to understand why people experience some of the tragedies and difficulties that they do, other than I know that we live in a fallen world with pain and sorrow. But again, Job was a righteous, godly man, and God allowed him to suffer. 
God allowed him to suffer great loss in his life. Daniel, because of his faithfulness to God, was cast into a lion's den. It's simply a part of the process. Perhaps today you're struggling and you're suffering in some capacity. Please hear me. If you're suffering, it does not necessarily mean you've done something wrong. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. And it doesn't mean that God's getting you. And it doesn't mean there must be some hidden sin in your life or that you don't have enough faith. Or Listen, it's part of God's overall plan. Don't overthink it. Trust the one who loved you and created you and by his loving wisdom and oversight of your life somehow according to his plan is permitting what he is. And when suffering according to the will of God, the Bible says in verse 19, our right and proper response should simply be, verse 19 says, to depend on God to help us get through it. He says here, when you suffer according to the will of God, this is what we do. Commit your soul to him. That is, suffering creates a moment of decision for a person spiritually. To say, God, this hurts, I don't understand it, but I can't get through it on my own. And it creates a decision moment when we suffer, to commit ourselves to God. He says, and continue to do good. That is, just keep doing the right thing. And he says as well, trust the one who created all things to be faithful as needed to work creatively to address your situation no matter what it is. Commit yourself to him, trust him, have confidence in him. For those of you who are suffering today, I would say this, look, don't be alarmed. The Lord wants to assist you. Maybe there's things that he wants you to learn through the process. Maybe there are ways he's trying to work in your life. This is an opportunity, if you're suffering, to glorify God in the matter. And maybe most critically, perhaps the suffering you're going through is an opportunity eternally to respond to committing yourself to God and experiencing his faithfulness in a way like you never have before. For a believer, it presents an opportunity to commit ourselves to God and to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord than we never have before. And for the unsaved soul, and if that's you this morning, please understand, God is loving if he would allow you to struggle and suffer a little in this time, if that's the thing it takes to awaken you to realize your need for him in your life that would cause you to commit yourself to him in the midst of your desperation.